Good morning. So the message this morning will be in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. Beginning in verse 66, it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the, ga- into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You may be seated. Let me welcome you again to worship with us this morning at Christ Fellowship. I'm very glad that you're here. Mark 14, 66 through 72, I've titled the message this morning, Good Grief, Good Grief. We're going to see why in a moment. Uh, In this sermon, I want to compare the actions of Peter after denying Jesus to the actions of Judas after betraying Jesus. Their failures resulted in two very different Outcomes, even though at first they reacted somewhat similarly, though they ended very differently. So I want to talk about why, why they had two very different outcomes. Then I want to show you how Peter was able to recover from his massive failure. It was massive. Let's not sugarcoat it. You and I are going to learn from doing that, of course, how we can recover from our massive failures as well. If you've been in the faith for very long and not had any massive failure yet, congratulations, but one is coming. (laughs) Hopefully just one. Let's pray. Father, we are glad that we can be here. We're so thankful that we have your word. Lord, remind us again just how special and just what a blessed state we're in that we have your word in our own language, that we can read it, that we have people to teach it to us, and that we're hearing it preached even right now. Father, I pray, please, apply these eternal truths to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So this scene that we just read from Sacred Scripture is pretty familiar to us. Uh, Even if you've only been in the faith for a little while and don't know much Scripture at all, you are familiar with this scene of Scripture. You're familiar, you know about this, when Peter denied knowing the Lord three different times. This is just one of the things that led up, of course, to Jesus' crucifixion. We are now well on our way to Jesus being crucified soon. This denial 
was not a surprise, though, was it? This denial was foretold by Jesus Christ to Peter. However, Peter doubted the Lord's words. He doubted that he could do such a thing. But in the end, it ended up playing out just like Jesus said, right down to the second. Right down to the second. Remember Jesus had said to Peter just hours before this took place, he said, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He had said that just a few verses ago in the same chapter that we're in right now. It was just hours ago. And we saw in our text that right after Peter denies knowing Jesus the third time, in verse 72 of our text, it says, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. So Peter lets out that last denial, and then the rooster crows. That's why I said right down to the second. Jesus' foretelling of this event happened, just like he said. Now, what Mark's gospel doesn't mention is this. It doesn't mention this, and I want to mention it because uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write it, and it only adds to our narrative here and adds a lot. Luke 22, verses 60 through 62 say this, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We learn that as soon as Peter let that final denial out of his mouth, that he and Jesus locked eyes. And that's when it hit him. He remembered what Jesus had said he would do, but Peter also remembered what he had said he would never do. Remember what Peter said he would never do? Let me quote it to you in case you've forgotten. Even though they all fall away, I will not. If I must die with you, I will never deny you. That's what made Peter's failure all the worse, didn't it? He said, he looked Jesus right in the eyes and he said, I'll never do that, ever. Even if I have to die, I will not do that. Looking Jesus right in his face and saying, not me. And then they lock eyes once again, hours later, and Jesus had done, no, Peter had done what Jesus said he would do. He vowed to Jesus he would never do that. Then just hours later, he's vowing to others that he never knew Jesus. You need to know yourself. You need to know yourself very well, that you're just a mere man. If you're a Disney fan at all, you know that the, there's a classic Winnie the Pooh where Christopher Robin says to Winnie the Pooh one day, he says, you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. You've probably seen that episode. It's a classic, and that clip gets played over and over again. Braver than you believe smarter, I mean, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think. Well, we know we don't live in the fictional world of Winnie the Pooh. We live in reality. And what the Lord was trying to convince Peter of with his prediction was that Peter was more cowardly than he believed, weaker than he seemed, 
and dumber than he thought. The very opposite of what Christopher Robin was trying to convince Winnie the Pooh of. For the proud in heart, that's the same for you as well. If you're a proud person who's not yet been given the ability to humble yourself, or if you've not yet been humbled by the Lord himself, those things are true of you too. You're more cowardly than you believe yourself to be. You're weaker than you think you are, and you're not as smart as you think you are. You have judged yourself by yourself, or you have compared yourself to others, and so therefore, you're able to say, well, I'm better than him, I'm better than her, I'm smarter than him, I'm smarter than her, I'm stronger than him, and I'm stronger than her. But if you're proud in heart and you still believe those things are true about you, you've not judged yourself by the words of God nor the ways of God. You're judging yourself by the words of man and the ways of man. And God does not use those ways to judge you. Those are not his standards. Man's standards are not his standards. God's standards are God's standards. And didn't Peter show himself, didn't Peter show himself that day to be a coward? He showed himself to be a coward. How? He was afraid of what a servant girl thought about him. He feared her opinion more than he feared God. A servant girl. And didn't he show himself to be weak? You know, he didn't buckle under pressure after hours and hours of intense investigation, intense trial, intense torture, days of being starved. No. He buckled with the very first question. It wasn't his, it wasn't that his resistance got worn away by their persistence. There was no resistance because he was weaker than he seemed to be by his own self-observation. By his own self-observation, what did he think about himself? Though they all deny you, I won't. I'm ready to go to prison with you and to die with you. The proud man ignores what this says about him and believes what this says about him. For those of you listening online, I'm pointing at my own brain. When you believe what you believe about you instead of what God says about you, you are headed for trouble and you are self-deceived. The devil can deceive us, and we can also deceive ourselves, can't we? And third, didn't Peter show himself to be the opposite of smart? One of the dumbest things you can ever do is to deny that you know the Christ when you really do know the Christ. Isn't it really dumb to distance yourself from Jesus? Isn't that one of the dumbest things you can do ever to distance yourself from Jesus? I don't know. I don't know him. I have nothing to do with that guy. Nothing. Don't we only show ourselves to be foolish when we do that? 
know this about yourself. If you ever find yourself wanting to distance yourself from the Lord Jesus, you are the biblical definition of a fool. So please don't say, Cohen's a jerk. He called me a fool. No, the Bible says that. People who distance themselves from the Lord and his truth are fools according to Scripture. It's really a dumb thing to do to distance yourself from Jesus because you fear man's opinion? Before the rooster crowed and before Jesus turned to look at him, Peter still hadn't realized what he was doing and how badly he was failing. Before the rooster crowed and before Jesus looked at him, Peter was just still in that rhythm of every time someone said to him, weren't you also with him? Aren't you also a Galilean? One of the translations says, for your accent gives you away. We can tell that you're from Galilee. So I'm just putting two and two together here. You're from Galilee. He's from Galilee. I saw you with him. I think you're one of his followers. And he calls down curses upon himself. I don't know the man. Really, I don't. Stop. Get over it. I don't know him. He's, and he's still in that rhythm. Until the rooster crows for the second time and then until Jesus looks at him. He came to his senses. Thank the Lord he came to his senses when two of his senses got involved. His ears and his eyes. He hears the rooster crow. And it says Jesus turns and looks at him. Jesus' back must have been to him at that point. We don't know how far away they were from each other. But they were an eye shot of each other. Jesus then turns and looks at him. And after hearing the rooster crow and seeing that, Peter remembered what Jesus said. Matthew Henry is an old Puritan from long ago. He's been with Jesus for many years now, <laughs> hundreds. This is what he said. The Christ had now his back upon Peter and was upon his trial when one would think he had something else to mind. Yet, he knew all that Peter said. Note, Christ takes more notice of what we say and do than we think he does. When Peter disowned Christ, yet Christ did not disown him. Though he may justly have cast him off and never looked upon him more, but have denied him before the Father, it is well for us that Christ does not deal with us as we deal with him. Very very good words from Matthew Henry. So if we combine what Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say, uh, if we put them all together with the, what they say Peter did next, it says this, he went out, broke down, and wept bitterly. He went out, broke down, and wept bitterly. Oh, the guilt and shame, and regret, and embarrassment, and grief that must have flooded his heart and soul and mind at that moment. Can you imagine? It all came back to him. Jesus already predicted I would do this. I swore to him, basically. I vowed I'm, I'm, I would never do that. And now here I did it three times. Are you kidding me? What? is wrong with me and he went out 
broke down and wept bitterly. Now we know this wasn't the end of Peter and his relationship with Jesus. Didn't stop there. So let's come back to him in just a moment. But I want us to look at Judas now. I said we would compare Peter did and what Judas did. Peter denied, Judas betrayed. Let's look at Judas now. Remember what happened? A few weeks ago we talked about this. Satan enters into Judas's heart, we're told in the text, and that Judas then has this idea to betray Jesus for money. We know that to be true as well from the text. We know Jesus was a Judas rather was a lover of money, and that he even stole from the community money bag. John tells us that because he had charge of it, so he got still he stole from it. He helped himself to it often, is what John says. We know he um, initiated uh, a meeting with some of the Jewish religious leaders, and it was him who said, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? And they said 30 pieces of silver, and it says he consented. And finally, we know that he followed through. We know that he approaches Jesus in the garden and uses that honorable term, rabbi, and then he uses that gesture of close friendship, a kiss. And he betrays him. And he gets paid. Now maybe Judas didn't think that Jesus would actually get arrested or stand trial. We don't know. Maybe Judas thought Jesus would escape from their clutches like he'd done in the past. There were other times where people wanted to come at Jesus and get him. And it says he, he slipped through their midst. Or he escaped. Remember those times? There's a few different times that happened. So maybe he thought, maybe that'll happen again. He won't actually get arrested, and I'll still get paid. It's a win-win. We don't know. Whatever he may have thought would possibly have happened to Jesus, we know didn't happen the way that he thought it was going to go, perhaps. But we do know that Judas finally realized just how heinous his actions against the Lord Jesus were. How do we know that he finally realized, oh my goodness, I've made a massive mistake? Well, because of Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5 say this. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. Both events are foretold to these men. To Judas, it was a little more general. At the supper, he said, one of you will betray me this night. To Peter, it was more specific. You will deny me three times. Both events were foretold, by the way. And of course, both events came to pass because Jesus said they would, and none of Jesus' words fall to the ground, unfulfilled. But the reactions of these two men were very, very different. One man, consumed with great grief, takes his own life. The other man cries bitterly like a child, but is later restored. Why is that? Why two extreme differences there when 
the crime was somewhat similar. What made the difference? And what's going to make the difference for you? Because, church, because you're not as brave or strong or smart as you think you are either, let's talk about this. Those of you in here who've been in the faith for at least 10 to 20 years, you know that you're not as brave or as strong or as smart as you once thought you were. You know that. The longer you're in the faith, the more you understand that everything that this book says about you is true and everything that your mind and your heart says about you is less true. We tend to puff ourselves up pretty well and compare ourselves with ourselves. But like I said, those of you who have been in the faith for a while, you believe Jesus' words right down to the last one. Words like this. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And the longer you're in the faith, the more you know that. The more humble you get, the longer you're in the faith, the more you learn you actually have nothing apart from Jesus, and you are nothing apart from Jesus. Jesus is everything. What makes the difference between a Judas and a Peter after they're a failure? Well, number one, let's talk about this. What makes the difference between a Judas and a failure? I mean, <laughs> Judas and a Peter after the failure. What makes the difference? Number one, who you believe Jesus is. That's the first thing that makes a big difference. We know from Peter's words who he believed Jesus to be. He made it clear in the text Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Peter believed the truth about Jesus that had been revealed to him by the Father. Peter believed it. He believed what the Father revealed to him about Jesus. Do you believe the truth about Jesus that's been revealed to you by the Father? That makes a massive difference. Because these are the words of eternal life. Who did G Judas believe Jesus to be? Let's talk about that. Well, I said we know from Peter's words who he believed Jesus to be. We can learn from Judas's actions who he believed Jesus to be. What kind of actions, Cohen? Okay, Judas believed Jesus to be unworthy. How do we know that? Where am I getting that from? Well, remember when Mary, the sister of Martha, brought out that pound of pure nard. She breaks the alabaster flask, she pours it on his head and on his feet as a selfish, selfless, and generous sacrificial act of worship, right? What did Judas think about that? First words out of Judas's mouth when he saw that happen were this. These three words were the first ones out of his mouth. Why this waste? Excuse me? 
You think what she's doing is a waste? You think that was wasteful, Judas? He said, why this waste? This could have been sold and given to the poor. We could have gotten 300 pieces of silver for that. Why this waste? Why'd you waste it on Jesus? The patience, the patience, the patience of our God. When we not only say things like that, but think things like that, or show that we think things like that with our actions. Oh, God has been so patient with Cohen Ezel. He was patient with Cohen Ezel for 19 years before this rebel heart got saved. He should have drop kicked me across the universe. And he would have been right and justified in doing it. He should have cast me into hell long ago. Long ago. I tried his patience. I rebelled against his word. I puffed up my chest and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. So patient. So patient. What a waste. He's not worthy of that, Judas thought. Secondly, Judas also believed Jesus to be a means to an end. Basically, I'm going to put up with him so I can use him to get this money that I want for him, this silver to Judas. Jesus was not the prophet, capital P. He was the payday. So what makes the difference after failure? Well, number one, who you believe Jesus is, then which this naturally leads us to number two, what you believe Jesus can do. Because who you believe Jesus is affects what you believe Jesus can do, right? So because Judas had a wrong view of who Jesus was, he naturally then had a wrong view of what, Judas, of what Jesus rather could do. Judas did not believe Jesus could or would forgive him. He didn't even think about going to Jesus, possibly waiting, possibly waiting until after the trial is over. Maybe he can get a face-to-face with Jesus after the trial is over and beg and plead, I'm so sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. No, that was not his original thought because his view about Jesus was wrong. So he did not think, I can go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness because I know who he is. He's forgiving and he might have compassion upon me. He did not go there. He thought there was no hope. So he did what utterly hopeless people do. He took his own life. People who have thoughts about taking their own life are hopeless. They have no hope. They think there is nothing for me to do except take my own life. The bitter weeping on Peter's part implies repentance, however, along with Peter's real concern for the Lord. Why do I think Peter had concern for the Lord? Well, because of this. After Peter hears Jesus rose from the dead, do you guys recall? The girls come back and they say, he's he's risen and these angels appeared to us and told us. What did Peter do? Took off running. I want to see I want to be where he, I, I've got to see this for myself. Because why? I'm concerned 
about what's happening to Jesus. Then, when the Lord himself appears on the seashore, and they're out fishing, they think he's a stranger, have you caught anything? They say, not a thing. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, eh, what could it hurt? Throw it in there. And as you know, 153, we're told, fish jump in the net. John looks up and says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water and starts swimming towards the shore. He doesn't even wait for the slow rowing, rowing, rowing of the boat. He swims all the way to the shore. He's he's concerned about the Lord. He wants to be with him. He wants to be where he is. He wants to see him. He wants to touch him. He wants to talk to him. He's concerned about the Lord. Peter wanted to be back in his presence once again. That's a good sign. If you have that inkling in your heart, it's a good sign that you are not hopeless. You're hopeful. You know Jesus is the answer. Where Judas didn't think he could ever go back to Jesus again. Peter couldn't wait to get back in Jesus' presence. Judas didn't think he could be back in Jesus' presence again. He was hopeless. Peter was repentant and hopeful. Judas showed a bad example of grief, and Peter showed that he had good grief. Let's talk about good grief for a second. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Really important portion. This is Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth. His first one was a bit of a spanking, okay? He had a lot of spanking to do in that letter because the church at Corinth was a wreck. Oh, gosh, they were. Please don't ever become like the church at Corinth. I just don't, I couldn't handle that as your pastor. They were just, they were a shipwreck and a half. So his first letter was a little bit rough to them. A lot of correcting had to happen. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 7. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is. I rejoice now. Uh, I rejoice not because you were grieved, of course, no, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces what? Death. See the difference? We can see Peter and Judas in this verse, can't we? We we see them there, right? Look, godly grief produces repentance. Peter. Worldly grief produces death. Judas. See them both there? Judas expressed the hopeless grief of those who are worldly, and it led to death. Peter expressed a hopeful grief of those who are godly, and he was restored. Church, I am feeding you a rich meal. You need to file this away in your heart and mind because I promise you, grief over your sin is coming to a heart near you. Yours, and it's your sin that will produce it. And you have choices what to do with your grief. 
the devil will be trying to convince you, you know, these things are true for other people, but not for you. The devil wants to try to overwhelm you with your grief and make you only focus on your failures. He wants you to believe that you're worse than others. Your failure is worse than others. And salvation is only for others. Therefore, can't you see, the logical conclusion would just be for you to just go ahead and just exit. Just just exit. Because there's really nothing else for you. You're so much worse than others. Yes, yes, Jesus. Yes, of course, of course. But... That's, he's, he's for them, not for you. Therefore, just take your own life. And Judas bought that cursed bill of goods, and it was a lie. And it is a lie for you, too. What about Peter? Paul said that good grief produces repentance and leads to salvation. Repentance is admitting that you're wrong and turning away from your wrong ways. Repentance is admitting that you're more cowardly, you're more weak, and you're more dumb than you thought you were. And that God is actually the opposite of all those things. He's the brave one. He's the strong one. He's the wise one. And that's what leads you to being saved from your sin and saved from the grief that comes along with that sin. I don't even have to assume that you have Grief in your life, grief over past wrongs. I know it's there. But some of us have transferred it over onto Jesus. And he takes it away. So we don't have to keep it. Praise God for that. There's hope in Christ for your failure. If you're feeling guilt and shame and grief, good You're supposed to feel guilt and shame and grief for your sins. It leads you to repentance, which saves your soul. And that's the first step. I want to show you three things that restored Peter. Three things that restored Peter. Number one, repent of the wrong. That's the first thing, repent of the wrong. We just saw where Peter did that. He cried and cried and wept bitterly, we're told. I mean, crying like a child. He was so very sorry seeing the Lord's face after having just denied him, ripped his heart out, and it should have. The Lord's tender and perfect and selfless eyes met Peter's self-serving and self-preserving eyes, and Peter repented. He repented. Number two, remember the word. Repent of the wrong was the first one. The second one, remember the word. Why do I say that? Well, I mentioned when Peter saw the Lord after his resurrection standing on the seashore. Remember that? Jesus had a meal of broiled fish prepared for them. They all sit down, and Jesus speaks to Peter, and he asks him three times, one for every denial, whether or not he 
loves him. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter needed to replace the denials with truth. Peter was remembering and remembering and remembering his love for his Lord. Remembering the truth. For us, that truth takes the form of the word of God. Remember the word. Repent of the wrong. Remember the word. The best way to remember it, of course, is to read it or listen to it. In your car, while you're driving, saturate your mind with the word. Third thing, resume the work. Third way to be restored after a great wrong, restore the work. Jesus didn't just want Peter to confess his love for him and say, okay, thanks, have a good day. That's all I wanted to know. He had more to say to him because there was more that was needed for his restoration. Jesus also wanted Peter to resume kingdom work. After each confession, you may recall um, of his love for Jesus, Jesus gives Peter a command, three of them. After he says, yes, Lord, I love you, the first time he says to Peter, feed my lambs. After the second one, he says, tend my sheep. After the third one, he says, feed my sheep. And then two times in their conversation after that, Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. Two times. So all three of those commands, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of my flock, and then follow me, follow me, were him being told again, now get back to kingdom work. Resume your work. Keep going. Don't quit. And all three of those things apply to us as well. Repenting of our wrong, remembering the word, and resuming the work. That's how we're restored after a huge downfall. Because there will be downfalls. You're not as strong or as smart or as brave as you think. Wow, Cohen, you're a horrible motivational speaker. <laughs> I'm trying to help you have a humble view, a biblical view of yourself, and a right view of Jesus. Our strength is found in him. Our wisdom is found in him, not in us. Believe who Jesus says he is in the word and believe the word for what it says he can do with your grief. I'm almost done here, guys. Don't believe the lies of the world, the flesh, the devil. They're all lying to you, often, often. You combat them with the word, the way Jesus did. So, then, in order to handle your grief, your grief rightly, admit to the Lord you're wrong and believe what he says about you. Immerse yourself in the word again so you can hear the Lord's voice and get back to following Jesus and doing those things that you love to do when it comes to sharing the word of God with people. He 
has given you spiritual gifts that you enjoy doing anyway, that he wants to use in creative ways to get the truth out to people and to continue to build the kingdom. That's how you build the kingdom. Let me end with another quote from Matthew Henry. Just one sentence. Here it is. The grace of God works in and by the word of God and so gives the soul a happy turn. The grace of God works in and by the word of God and so gives the soul a happy turn. Turning back to him. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these truths that we find in Scripture. And we know that these acts of repentance and restoration are only true because of Jesus Christ taking the punishment for sinners when he shed his blood and died and rose again from the dead. Lord, thank you that we can be saved through him because of what he did repentance and faith. And we pray this in his perfect name. Amen.